Hey everyone, husband here. And I'm wife. If you've been listening to us, then you know we're all about reading the Bible and reacting to it on our first read-through. Cuss words, crying, laughing, and more. We're passionate about creating a podcast that takes the sanctity out of the sacred text and simply stating it as we see it. But we can't do it without your help. We're asking for your support to help us keep this podcast going. There are two ways you can donate. Text SACDIS, that's S-A-C-D-I-S, to 53. 555 if you're in the U.S. with a one-time donation. Any amount helps. Or if you'd rather start a sustaining membership, sign up on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. Membership levels start as low as $2 a month. We are amazed and grateful for our fans that support us now, and you can become one too. With your support, we can keep sacrilegious discourse alive and well for years to come. So please donate today. Text SACDIS to 53555 if you're in the U.S. Or sign up for our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Sacrilegious Discourse. I'm husband. And I'm wife. Together we're reading the Bible for the very first time. We grew up without religion and wanted to know what all the fuss was about. Well, what have we learned so far? That God is a dick, and apparently some people believe in talking donkeys? We're not trying to pass ourselves off as experts. Nope, we're just reading the Bible for the first time and giving our first take reaction. If you'd like to join us in this venture, you might consider starting at episode one. Otherwise, jump in wherever you like. All right, let's go read the Bible. Yeah, let's get to it. Hey wife, did you know that Anchor is sponsoring our show? Really? Don't we use Anchor to distribute our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? Yeah, and we are on just about every other platform available as well, thanks to them. Why do we use Anchor as our podcasting service? Well, they make editing and distributing our show a breeze. What if one of our listeners wants to start their own podcast? Then they should head over to Anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Awesome! You guys should go do that right now!
Husband. Wife. I have a theme song for you. You have a theme song for me. Ready? Okay. Ba 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 ba. It's the Sacrilegious Book Club. Yeah, no. <laughs> nope, we're not doing that one again. No. Not a chance. I really liked it. I'm I'm glad you liked it. That was that's that's uh, it's cute. Yeah. So that's what we're doing today. The book club thing. The, the Sacrilegious, Sacrilegious Book, book club. club. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to talk about Isaac Asimov and the book he wrote about the Bible. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and do that now then? Yeah. All right. Let's go do this. Okay. Okay. So this is our first episode, our inaugural episode of our Sacrilegious Book Club. Okay. And we are covering... Asimov's Guide to the Bible, two volumes in one, The Old and New Testaments by Isaac Asimov. Wow, and based on the size of it, it's going to take us for fucking ever. Yeah, indeed. My God. Yeah, it's it's huge. Like, when the word epic was created, they had a picture of this fucking book next to the right? word. Right, yeah. yeah. But it is exciting because early on we didn't do a lot of, uh, you know, Q&As. We didn't do any Q&As on our uh, earlier stuff. So we're going to get to go back and kind of cover some of that stuff, I guess, through uh, Asimov. Yeah. Which will be kind of cool. It will be kind of cool. So I thought the way that we would set these book clubs up is for the intro episode. Uh Uh-huh. I would talk a little bit about the author and then a little bit about the book itself. Okay. And then read the dust jacket cover. So that you have a nice summary, let you know what its rating is on Goodreads, <laughs> so you got all that. And then um, we're going to actually go into the book just a little bit. We're going to talk about the introduction to the book. Okay. Okay? All right. So I'm trying to create this um, format that we're going to follow henceforth. Got it. Okay? Got it. Yep. So Isaac Asimov. Ready? Isaac Asimov. I love Isaac Asimov, I do way. too. What, why do you love him? Because he's sci-fi. He More is sci-fi. sci-fi. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I love the Foundation series. So. And yeah, and that's what he's most famous for. Yeah. So, did you know that he was born in Russia? I did not know that. He was born in Russia somewhere around January 2nd, 1920. And I say somewhere around because there's not a specific date for his birthday. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. But he moved to the U.S. when he was just three. Okay. And then he became a naturalized citizen at the age of eight. Got it. Got it. And then. Um, his mom fudged his um, his date, his birthday, so he could start um, school a year early. Oh. Yeah. He, I think that was a lot more common back then, you know? You could didn't fudge have all these things. electronic records and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So he graduated from high school when he was 15. Damn. Right? Wow. But when he found out that his his birthday was a year off, yeah. he corrected it, which later came to kick him in the ass because when he was um, 20... Six, I think, or twenty-five. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, he was still eligible for the draft, oh. and if he hadn't corrected it, he he would not have been eligible. He would have been one year too old. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, interesting. Yeah, that sucked for him. Right. But he he served briefly and was honorably discharged. Okay. All right. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Right. To know about him. Yeah. Um, he is known as one of the big three sci-fi writers. Do you right. know who the other two are? Well, obviously, one is Heinlein. Robert A. Heinlein, that's and, correct, uh, who so, I grew up reading. I did not grow up reading Asimov so much, but I did grow up reading Heinlein. Right, and I, I can't remember his name, but the guy that wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. 
False. I'm guessing this. No, really. No. What's his name though? Um, Jules Verne. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, no. All right. Um, Arthur C. Clarke. Oh yeah, duh. Duh. I knew that. I know you knew that. And okay, so listen to this. He had this thing that he called the Asimovian Law of Composition. Okay. And that calls for writing from nine to five, seven days a week. Damn. Period. The fucking end. That's craziness. Yeah. And so he either wrote or edited over 500 books. Damn. Right? Because of that. He's like, not only is this a job, but I don't ever take a day off. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And actually, um, he um, was a professor and he kind of got fired-ish because he stopped doing research because he was writing all the time. (laughs) So, like, he got tenure, but then he just stopped doing research. And, like, when you are at that level of academia you are expected to keep researching and producing new results sure sure and he was like i can't i'm writing i'm busy right and so then later on he was granted an honorary status Uh and um he had to do like so many um speeches per year and show up at one um like I don't know, class or seminar or something like that. So right. he like basically worked out a deal with them to where he would have to put in the very minimal effort. Sounds like a good deal. Right. I mean, they would have been a fool to let him go right, completely right. once they realized that they had a gem on their hands. Yeah. yeah. So um, he, as you pointed out, is best known for his foundation series. Yep. And if you have not seen that, I read, read that. It. Sorry. Yeah. Don't see it first. If you have not read it, you need to stop everything you're doing and run immediately to the library or your nearest bookstore and pick up a copy of the original trilogy. Right. Okay, I can't speak for the prequels and sequels and all the things that came after, but the original three books are fucking excellent. So excellent that they won, the original trilogy won the Hugo for best all-time series. Yeah. In 1966. I don't doubt it because, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah. They now, created they created that category, best overall series, just specifically for, for him. Now, I will say this. It's a really huge world that he builds. Yeah. Or universe. Universe. And, and yeah. so if you're not, if you're not one that like, like if you just like a easy story, this, this may not be for you. True. Because he is, he, he is, Wow. Um, it's rich what he builds. It's interesting that he and I, I haven't read as much Arthur C. Clarke, but it's interesting that he and Heinlein are two of the big three. Right. Because um, Heinlein, whom I did grow up reading, as I said, um, he was much more character driven and dialogue driven, whereas Asimov is much more story and world driven. Oh, yeah, for sure. And. Neither one is better than the other. They are both excellent, but they are completely different reads. Yeah. Um, Heinlein is the one that you want to read just for quick, snappy dialogue and you right. know, relaxing read. Yep. Read Stranger in a Strange Land or something like that if you want some Heinlein. Mm-hmm. Heinlein. Mm-hmm. But then you definitely got to read um, Foundation. Definitely. Because it's it's just what are you doing with your life if you haven't at least given the original book a try. But in the meantime, you should be reading. The Bible thing. The, what's it called? Um, Asimov's Guide to the Bible. Asimov's two, Guide to the Bible with us. Two volumes in one. The Old and New Testaments. Yeah. That's the full title. You guys should join in and do this with us. Definitely. And I'm going to get to that more in a little bit. Okay. okay? All right. Yeah. 
So in addition to those, he's also best known for his Galactic Empire series and his Robot series. I've read some. I've read most of the Robot series, I think. I have as well, and I've read most of the Empire series. I don't know that I've read the Empire series yet. He but. he um, later wrote some novels that kind of tied them all into the same universe, Got even it. though the timelines don't match up. Sure. And also he admitted later that some of the science was wrong because he didn't have the information at the time. Right. Which he gained later. Yeah. And, I mean, I could say so much about this guy that I, I totally glossed over the fact that a lot of the language th that we use in science today, he coined several terms. Well, there's people that would maybe have never heard of Asimov, but they've heard of the three laws of robotics before. And he's the, and one, he's that the one that coined those. that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like... And that... the term robotics itself. Right. Yeah. No, he coined that term as well. Yeah. So, he's, uh, he's quite a... Um, he was influential way, character, way so. ahead of his time in many ways, and and for the atheist community and humanist community, secular community, he's very huge in that too. Yep. So, yep. I mean, it's he's he's had a lot his hand on a lot of pies, a lot of pies. Yeah, yeah. So he was president of the American Humanist Society from 1985 until his death in 1992. That I did know. And. Do you know who succeeded him in leadership of oh, that? Oh, I did at one point. Um, oh, you're going to kick yourself. I know I am. I know I am because I did know. It's your favorite. Oh. It's your favorite. Okay, Come on. Just tell me. Okay, so his good friend Kurt Vonnegut. Really? Yes. I kind of, I think I, I did know that, I think, yeah. I don't see how you couldn't, and I'm really shocked I did. that I you did. didn't pull that out. I'm, I it Well, it's, yeah. Because... Kurt Vonnegut, in case anybody doesn't know, is also need to read him. absolute favorite. And um, you could start with Slaughterhouse-Five if you're looking for more Vonnegut. Right. Yeah. Um, that I mean, was... That's a great place to start. But also, I have to say with him... Um, he's weird. Yeah. He, he's almost... Like, it's science fiction, but it's also magical realism. Right. And that does not do it justice. It's right. just weird. Really, really good. Great shit. Yeah. Yeah. What was the one that you had me read? It was I think before it was breakfast. No, Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle. Cat's, that... Cat's Cradle, especially for like religious um, mm -hmm. ideologies and, and and thinking about them in a weird way, like is is a perfect perfect book. It was a really really great place for me to start with Vonnegut, and you had me read that before we got together even. Yeah. And then I was really excited because. Um, I was um, taking college classes at the time, and one of the classes required us to read Slaughterhouse-Five. Of course. And I couldn't wait to call you after class and tell you, <laughs> hey, we have to read your favorite author. And right. so, you know, then within a year, I'd read two books by him, and oh, man, I was hooked. Yep. No, so, he's a great author. Yeah. So he was a really great one to follow Asimov in leading the American Humanist Society. Okay, yeah. He was also a co-founder and leading member of the Committee for the Skeptical Inquiry. Okay. The vice president of Mensa International. Wow. And a consultant on many Star Trek um, projects because he was friends with Gene Roddenberry. That's so cool. Right? He, like, was, I mean, he was a direct consultant on Star Trek, the motion picture. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, to be in that world where just, you know, Asimov and Gene Roddenberry right? are running around, and then and Kurt Vonnegut succeeds you buddies. in a fucking, you know, after your death in a humanist society. They're all like, just, it's just hanging like, out. Like, what? Like, this is crazy. So here's, here's how um, Asimov and Gene Roddenberry met. Okay. Asimov 
um, wrote in complaining about the science in <laughs> one of the episodes, and Gene Roddenberry responded yeah. and was like, you are absolutely right. However, we are very much constrained by you know, the time limit that we have sure. and also the audience and trying to create a drama around it. Right, right. And um, Asimov was properly chastised and, and wrote back, but it's still a great fucking show. <laughs> and so they became great friends after that and Roddenberry would then consult with him on the science to get it more accurate. Sure, that's great. So, yeah, yeah, I just thought that was just wicked because we love Star Trek. Right. So... What's really cool about the fact that he was um, part of the Mensa community, yeah, um, which is for you know geniuses, right? right? IQ people, right? He wasn't really excited about it. And can hmm. you guess why? No, I, I, I because can't. the Mensa crowd is so fucking full of themselves, <laughs> and they were like really, really proud of their brainiacness, and he right. wasn't for the, like he he didn't have time for that. Sure. Um. If you are wanting to get an idea of what I'm talking about with regard to Mensa, there's a limited series that you could listen to. And I know I'm not supposed to talk about other podcasts because no other podcast exists but ours. But there's a limited podcast called My Year in Mensa. Um, it's like six episodes by Jamie Loftus. Highly recommend it. And that will give you an idea of why Asimov was not necessarily a fan. I don't think that one really competes with our podcast. It does so, not. You know, I'm not. It does not. Not too worried about that it's one. It's really good, though. Right. Yeah. Um, so as you pointed out before, Asimov was an atheist. Yep. And a humanist. Yep. A rationalist. Yep. A skeptic. Yep. A Democrat. Okay. A liberal. Awesome. A feminist. Great. And pro-gay rights. What a guy. Yes. Having said all of that. Yeah. Um, so he was well ahead of his time. Definitely. But he doesn't get full credit for all of those because a lot of that was based on his very, very, very um, worrisome concern over overpopulation. Ah. So he was for women's rights because he was concerned with overpopulation. And he was like, yes, please, let these people have as many abortions as they want. Right. Yes, let gays be gays. Because they're not having babies. Yeah, this is excellent. Right. So he was, he was pro these things for... The wrong reasons. A, a, I wouldn't say the wrong reason, just not the rightest reasons. He was pragmatic about it. Sure. Well, and that's... I mean, you know what... Given the time, at least he mm-hmm. had the idea to at all be for these things. So Well, and, and I have more to add about his idea of feminism. He was for women's rights and women's health care. Well, when it comes to his writing, he's not very feminist-driven. No, women don't hardly at all appear in his writing, except for there's a really strong um, character named... Um, oh, what's her name? Susan Calvin, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... She's like one of his only strong women yep. characters, and she's fantastic. She shows up in the robotic series. Yeah, no, I remember. Um, but beyond that, even the, his writing doesn't really reflect women at all, except for that one case. Right. He was also kind of grabby and touchy. Oh, okay. So he was ahead of his time, but still a product of his time. Right. Like right. I'm not trying to excuse his behavior. Yeah. But he was known to cop a feel and grab titties Got it. and pat some ass. So not such a great guy there. Not such a great guy there. I mean, again, a product of his time. Right. It, it makes me wonder how he would be today. Like, would he be an old stodgy man like 
Bill Maher denying that times change and stuck in the past? Or would he be part of like the Bernie Sanders, like I'm old, but I still get it. Right. You know, like right is right. And we change and we grow and we learn. There's no way to know. There's no way to learn to know. But I, I do think that it is an interesting question when we're talking about him being ahead of his time and still being that way. Right. You know? Sure. So I don't know. I was just like, as I was studying this about him and like trying to reconcile the two different versions of feminism that he had, it, it just, I don't know. I thought it was, a, it would be an interesting story. Like, who would he be today? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, when asked in an interview in 1982, so this is, you know. Toward in our the, lifetime. Toward yeah. the end of his life. Right. Yes, in, in our lifetime. I mean, I was seven years old. Dating ourselves here. Yeah. Um, when asked if he was an atheist, he replied, and I'm going to read this quote. Yeah. I am an atheist out and out. It took me a long time to say it. I've been an atheist for years and years, but somehow I felt it was intellectually unrespectable to say one was an atheist because it assumed knowledge that one didn't have. Somehow it was better to say one was a humanist or an agnostic. Right. I finally decided that I'm a creature of emotion as well as of reason. Emotionally, I'm an atheist. I don't have the evidence to prove that God doesn't exist, but I so strongly suspect he doesn't that I don't want to waste my time. I have actually used that quote on Twitter before. So. I fucking love that quote because it's exactly how I feel. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it sums it up perfectly. You obviously can't know that there's not a God, sure. right? So that, that part of atheism... A, that's not a scientifically found... Right. Sound. Scientifically, we cannot prove that there is not a God. Right. But it's so obvious that there's not that it's right. beyond... It's... It's you un- have to be an you have to be an you have to believe that there's not a god. Like there's it's no reason to believe that there is a yeah, god. Yeah, it's unnecessary to even worry about it. Right. Because it's very unlikely that there is one and if there is, well, it's going to take care of itself, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> not a lot I can fucking do about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And in his last volume of the autobiography of his own autobiography, he yeah. wrote, and I'm going to read this quote. Okay. If I were not an atheist, I would believe in a God who would choose to save people on the basis of the totality of their lives and not the pattern of their words. Yes. I think he would prefer an honest and righteous atheist to a TV preacher whose every word is God, 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 and whose every deed is foul, foul, foul. Can't agree more. Right? Like, that is, uh, hot damn. Exactly. My, um, my, when I, when I wasn't sure when I was younger and like, you know, fighting with myself over what religion was and stuff like this. I, I, I that's the kind of thing that was like, I don't get it. Yeah. This doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Because there's people that are quote unquote religious who are just fucking horrible. Horrible people. And the people that I, and most people that I know that are not religious are actually really great people. Who have wonderful morals. Right. I mean, to me, it comes to who you would trust your child with. Right. You know? Definitely. And I would trust my child more often than not, like sight unseen, more often than not, I would choose an atheist over a Christian. And right. that makes me sad to say, but it is true. But their basis of being is not based on the lie. Right. And and let's just be honest here. No matter how much you believe it, you are basing your belief on a lie. Right. And, okay, so you've, you've been brought up with that lie. I get it. And I can excuse it to some level. But some people don't – some people use it as a tool to be worse than they actually mm-hmm. had to be. Yeah. 
And that's the part that I just can't stand. No, so. no. And I would like to add a caveat to what I said. That's not to say that all Christians are bad, nor is it to say that all Correct. atheists are good. Because Defin- assholes definitely. come in all shades and credences. 100%. 100%. So. But may, being religious does not make you a good person. And that's right. that's the general consensus of people who are religious, is that you mm-hmm. have to be religious to be a good person. Exactly. And that is simply just not true. It's demonstrably untrue. Right. So that was my little bit about Asimov. And now I'm going to talk more about the book. Okay. Okay. So Asimov's Guide to the Bible was originally published in two volumes. Yep. Um, the first one was the Old Testament, and it was published in 1968. So that's before I was born. Yep. And the second one covered the New Testament in 1969. Okay. So still before I was born. Yep. And then they were later published in 1981, when I was six, <laughs> as a single book. Got it. And that's what we're working from. Okay. So Awesome. That's the one you guys should pick up. I was really impressed. I found this as a hard copy online for like $13. Oh, damn. I'm like, damn, that's really cool. Did you get it on Amazon? No, I got it on some... No, like if you, on Amazon it was like really expensive, and so oh. it was on eBay too. And I just looked up some other like offhanded booksellers on Google hmm. and found one, and I was like, there you go. Um, I don't know if thrift books um, would carry this, but um, they're a really great uh, small, privately owned, not um, huge box house. Yeah. So I recommend them for used and old books. Yeah. And okay. um, you can create like a wish list and they'll email you if they ever get a copy. Okay. So that's it's a good, awesome. pl- good place to start if you're looking for yeah, something like that. Yeah, specific. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Um. This book is really interesting because not only does it contain the Hebrew Bible that, you know, we're used to reading, like yeah. what you, everybody You were telling expects. me this the other day. This is really cool. Yeah. It also contains um, parts of the Catholic Bible yep. and some other books and parts of books that are found um, in the Greek and just... The Orthodox? Yeah. 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 Eastern Orthodox. I mean, just I don't even know all the words, okay? Sure. Yeah. But... It's like I was looking at the table of contents and I was like, hold up a second. It's not just the King James Version. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, there are a whole shit ton of things that are in this table of contents that are not in the Bible that we're reading from. Right. So this is actually going to be getting us ahead of. Right. Well, it's stuff that we want cool. We've said before, we want to cover this other stuff yeah. too. Yeah. Um, I think we were planning on doing it more towards the end of our podcast, but because mm-hmm. we're just kind of reading the Bible right now. Yeah. But, you know, there's so much more to the information that's out there for Christianity as a whole that we can't just stop with the end of the Bible that we're reading. Like, there's so much more to go into. Well, for example, um, the New Testament, um, like, we know, well, I don't know, you might not know, but most of us would know that it starts with Matthew, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I might be saying those guys out of order, but it's those four guys talking about the story of Jesus. Right. Um, apparently the Catholic Bible or whichever Bible he's quoting from, there's yeah. like four books before that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Maccabees being a couple of them, which I know heard those come from. I, I knew Maccabees was part of the Catholic Bible. And right. I was I thought they were probably the New Testament, but I didn't realize that they were placed before the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, that's interesting. And again, apologies if I'm saying those four guys out of order. Sure. I'm not at that part of the bible yet and right and i don't know those never guys. actually read it before so yeah. you know there, so, there we go i mean you should just be glad i know them at all <laughs> so um now i'm gonna read from the dust jacket just to give you guys like a, a nice broad summary of what this book is yeah okay okay 
For most of the last 2,000 years, the Bible has been the most popular history book in Western civilization, and yet its meaning is obscured by an overwhelming number of mysterious passages. Armed with scientific expertise and qualified speculations, Dr. Asimov attempts to illuminate events of the Old and New Testaments by letting us in on the actual historical, geographical, and biological aspects of those first 4,000 years of human civilization. Originally published in two volumes, this book brings an important fund of knowledge to any reader of the Bible, yet it also makes absorbing reading for anyone with an interest in history. Hmm. And because it is completely indexed and cross-referenced, which my God, oh my God. Sure there's is. so many maps and stuff in there. Uh-huh. Like I was blown away. I'm like, this is so cool. It's amazing. It will prove a valuable encyclopedia of biblical knowledge, which we're counting on. Yeah. Asimov's Guide to the Bible shows Dr. Asimov at his professional and informal best. He adheres to no rigid rules and digresses where he feels digression will be useful. This volume is as provocative and entertaining as it is informative and compromises a significant contribution to the studies of the greatest... Comprises. What? You said compromises. Oh, shit. Sorry. (laughs) Comprises a significant contribution to the studies of the greatest bestseller of all time, the Bible. (laughs) Sorry. I had to correct you on that one because compromising compriser. Totally different. Totally different. Yeah. Apologies. So, yeah. Yeah, I really muffed that. Well, at Mm -hmm. least you guys know that we're, like, reading this right right (laughs) live. Yep. So, as of this date... Which is, you know, this day today, yeah. today. Right. Um, Asimov's Guide to the Bible has a 4.18 rating in Goodreads. Oh, in the, wow. Yeah. Which, you know, that's out of five stars. Yeah, that's crazy. 4.18. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I would have get. I mean, okay, so that book, this book, right? Mm-hmm. The people that pick it up, it's an intentional read, yeah. right? Like, it's not yeah. something you just, like, flippantly buy. Yeah. That... You're you're intentionally picking up, and especially if you've bought it since the since Goodreads was a thing. Yeah, you definitely intentionally bought that fucking book, and then book. took the time to fucking review it on right. Goodreads. And you bought it specifically because you already loved Asimov. Yeah, and you're interested in the Bible, and you're probably an atheist or humanist, or at least questioning your religion, or at least like super like, into science. So and I don't know that I give that rating like a hundred percent accuracy because if it came if it came out as a new book today. Right. I bet it would be trashed right off the bat because by a bunch of right wing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then you know it might settle into a better rating. But sure. still, sure. Like I just that's that's a questionable rating. I'm not saying it's not a great book, but the rating is questionable. Well, I wasn't expecting you to take that side, but I <laughs> am very excited about this book. I am too. I am too. I mean, I just flipping through it is it's uh, it looks really really cool. So I thought we would go ahead and crack it open a little bit okay. and just talk about the introduction. Okay. okay? Yeah. It's only like four pages. So if you guys like still want to go pick up your copy, I'm not like moving ahead of you too far. Just out of curiosity, are we starting this on this weekend or are we going to do it the weekend after to give them some time to get the book? I was thinking about this weekend, but what do you think? Should we wait? I think we should wait, honestly. Okay. I think we should okay. give them an extra week if they do want to take part and actually follow along. Okay. I think maybe not do the next episode this weekend since we're already kind of midweek here. Sure. And let's do it the week after so that way it gives okay. anybody that's really interested a chance to get the book and get okay. it in for that time frame. Yeah, so. that sounds fine. Okay. Yeah. Actually, that gives me a chance to read a little bit more <laughs> ahead because we all know that I'm like a last minute cram kind right. of guy. Right, yeah. So, um, like I said, the introduction is only, like, four pages, maybe. Okay. Um, And in it, the majority of, like, the first two and a half pages 
Um, Asimov is bemoaning the fact that people know shit from the Bible more often than they know actual history or um, oh yeah, I bet geography. Right. Yeah, and so he is coming at this from a layperson's understanding of stories that you've probably heard of in the Bible or yeah. areas that you probably have heard of from the Bible. Right. But not knowing history or right. geography. No, that's which great. Which I actually really appreciate because I don't know a lot of history and geography. Those were... Uh, it's interesting because in school, those were my worst subjects and they were also the subjects I was least interested in. That's my... That was my... That was going to be my job if I wasn't doing what I do. I, right. I, was, I wanted to be a history teacher. Like, right. And now, oh my God. Like, and I would, see, yeah, once I hit my like late 20s, I started realizing, oh, this stuff is actually important. <laughs> and, you know, shame on all the teachers who didn't make it interesting and yeah, explain the Yeah, it doesn't have to be importance. boring. It does not have to be boring. History can right. be so fun. I mean, just look at the, the YouTube channel, the Drunk History and shit. Yeah, yeah. That is so fun. Like, right. I, I could watch that all goddamn day. It's true. I oh, could my too. God. I could, too. I mean, there's so many... Since since the in, invention of the internet, like, there's been so many different takes on how to teach and present history that are so much fun, and it's so different from the way that I learned history at the time. Now, I was lucky enough to still be interested in it, and I took it upon myself to learn myself, but most people are not... I mean, I, I've come to learn very much that most people don't like history. I don't it's boring think, to them. I don't think it's their fault. <laughs> you know? Right. No, well, like, I mean, your, your take on the average history teacher is like the boring... You know, history teacher. Yeah. So, I mean, or it's, same as the normal science teacher, you know, or math teacher for that matter. Well, it's an easy course to just rely on the textbook, right? Like, mm -hmm. read this, we're going to take a test. Read this, we're going to take I a mean, test. I mean, that's the same with math and science. Right, it, right. If, if you don't make it interesting, it's not going to be interesting. Right. Unless you're the oddball like my husband here who <laughs> takes it upon himself. But this is how bad I was at history and geography. When um, I was a kid, we played a lot of board games, and Trivial Pursuit was, like, one of the games we played <laughs> most often. You avoided that one like the plague. It wasn't just that I avoided it. It was that if I drew a geography or history, yeah. the question automatically went to my sister. <laughs> and, you know, I would get the credit for it. But, like, yeah. there was no question of me answering it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, my family took it into account that I knew nothing. Right. But... On the same token, if it was science or, like, literature, yeah, her questions all came to me. <laughs> yeah. Not because I knew more than she did, per se, but because, like, I was really interested in those topics. Yeah. I well, wanted to know the answer. Who do our children come to if they have a history question? You. Like, without fail. Right. But so. if it's English or math, who do they come to? You. you. And then science, we kind Sorry, of split no, English, the bill. I'm, I'm pretty decent with English, but you're much better. So, like, right. it's not that they couldn't ask me, just, you know. I, they mean, bow. I bow to your superiority. I was going to say, right? like, come on, with no, commas no. and apostrophes. I'm saying, like, math, yeah, I suck. But, like, English, I'm all right. But with commas and apostrophes, oh, totally. you have to text me all the time to yeah. ask me what apostrophe goes where. No. And I'm always like, it's I, not a possessive. Why are you putting that there? <laughs> My God. Okay. But I'm a good writer. You are a good writer. Yeah, You're okay. a decent writer. As long as I, I got a, as long writer. as I got a good editor, that's why I married you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> I thought it was because I was so excited about your favorite hero Vonnegut. Oh, yeah. And you were like, oh, I got to marry this That's girl. probably it too, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, 
where was I? Um, yeah, he's trying to reach people who don't know a lot about the world. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, and he sums this up in the third paragraph of the first page of the introduction. And that I'm going to read what it says. Okay. Most people who read the Bible do so in order to get the benefit of its ethical and spiritual teachings. But the Bible has a secular side, too. It is a history book covering the first 4,000 years of human civilization. Yeah, I've heard that mentioned quite a lot since we, you know, like there's a lot of people that actually utilize the Bible as a historical reference for things. Right. So, like, not in that, some regards, not, not Yeah, overall. not that it gets everything right, but right. it does at least give you a sense of what people were thinking at certain culture, times. Culture, culture. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then um, he actually goes further to break down those 4,000 years, and I, I thought this was interesting. Um, so I'm going to read this little bit, too. Okay. The period from the beginning of the earliest civilizations, say 4000 BC to 400 AD, mm-hmm. can be lumped together as, quote, the biblical period. Of this period, 4000 BC, oh wait, of this, the period 4000 BC to 400 AD. B- BC, or, we're still oh, in BC. Okay. So 4,000 to 400 is the Old Testament period. Okay. Okay. Yep. And from 400 BC to 4 BC is the intertestamental period. And then the AD section past that is right. all the New Testament period. Got it. Okay. Okay. He breaks it down further after that. Sure. But um, I'm not going to get into all that because that's getting like real nitty gritty. Right. Sure. But I do think that we will probably start referencing that not just in this book that we're reading, right. but probably as we go through um, the the podcast. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, because a lot of it, um, after a certain point, it... It tells what people were in charge at the time. Sure. And that's just going to help cement um, the history in my mind better. Well, it was just recently we had to kind of do a switch of our minds to find out that we were we were in the Bronze Age and then we moved into the Iron Age. Exactly. You know? like, exactly. That was just it was an overriding theme. Like oh, like, like oh, we're in the we're we're, we're in the in Iron, Iron Age, Age now. now. Okay. Yeah, and like I didn't even know anything about the Bronze Age or the Iron Age, like sure. when those were. So I am actually learning history right by reading the fucking Bible. <laughs> Can you even believe that? <laughs> so that's pretty much it for what I wanted to cover about the book. Um, whenever we do start this, now that you've had the introduction, so get the book, read the introduction. Right. And then, um, what I would like to do is, um, read pages 15 to 32. Okay. And because it doesn't start on like page one. Yeah, yeah, I got you. So read the intro and then read all the way up to page 32. And the topics that'll be covered in there are Genesis, God, the seventh day, the Lord God, man, Eden, the Euphrates River, the serpent, and Eve. No big deal. Just God, man, and, you know, the whole well, beginning. Um, in flipping <laughs> through, I see that whereas he does go in order yeah. through the Bible, yeah. he breaks them down by character and place. Right. So it, it's kind of like a kid's Bible version in a way. That's cool. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm just really excited. So those are the topics that will be covered. And then I just have one more quote. So that, real quick, just to reiterate. Yeah. Pages 15 through 32, if you guys are getting the Bible or the book, 
those are the ones we're going to be reading for not this coming Sunday, but the mm-hmm. Sunday following. So um, I would just say up to page 32. Okay. It's not yeah, even yeah. 15 through 32. 15 sure. is where it picks up after the intro. Right. Okay. So read up through page 32. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, like I said, one final quote that I just, I love this. It, it's so Asimov and it's so us. Yeah. I had to include this final quote. Okay. Properly read, the Bible is the most potent force for atheism ever created. Yeah, that one gets tossed around a lot. I fucking lot. love it. I've never read that quote, but <laughs> like, how many times have me and you actually said that? Oh, yeah. No, I mean... It, but I didn't know that, that somebody else had already coined that like, Well, it's so obvious. Ago. Like, you know, you can't... It's just the hypocrisy is right there on the surface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like between the the parishioners, the people that go to church, the you know, um, and, and the Bible itself. Even before I started reading that, I knew there was contradictions in it. I knew that there was things that were wrong. I knew that the ideas in there were incorrect and didn't fit with the society that we are in today. Right. So I mean, the idea that those are that yeah that reading the bible is going to make you an atheist sure i mean i don't i never believe that these people read the bible i believe that they read five quotes that they can quote anytime they want to to make themselves seem like they've read the bible right that's what i think right that's what i believe i believe they don't actually read the fucking bible they can't possibly right no they can't i mean since we started reading it i've it's it's made the whole thing like seem that much more dumb than i thought before right so i mean it's taken my dislike of religion at on the onset of this and and just multiplied it it set fire to it right yeah, and and we can go into my dislike of religion another time, but it, it's based on what it has caused in society, and mm-hmm. and and what it is still causing in society. So yeah, but that's uh, that's for another day. Yeah, and uh, for now, just get that book and read up page thirty two, or just listen in. Yep. Either way works for us. I'll give you my two cent summary. Yeah, but the maps in the book are so fucking cool. Yeah, they so, really like, are. I do highly recommend getting it. I I do as well. Um, just for those alone. Right. All right. Well, it was great uh, doing the special episode today. Let's uh, get on out of here, and we'll see you guys. Do we know what we're doing tomorrow? Um, are we doing a Patreon thing, or I think we are. I don't. We're doing something tomorrow. Doing we don't really fucking tomorrow. know yet. You guys, we're doing something. Yeah. So we'll see you guys tomorrow, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and then we're gonna we're gonna go now. Bye. Hey, wife, I guess that's the end. But husband, that's just sad. It doesn't have to be. We are on lots of social media platforms like Twitter. Our handle there is sacrilegious underscore D. For D's nuts. Oh, my God. Stop doing that. Anyway, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. There's a link to all of our social media sites at our website. Ooh, we have a website? Yeah, it's sacrilegiousdiscourse.com, where you can also find a link to our merch shop. We have a merch shop? Yep. We have podcast-themed clothing, mugs, notebooks, and more, as well as an atheist and science-themed products. Wow, our fans should really go check that out right now. Definitely. They can get in touch with us by sending an email to sacrilegiousdiscourse at gmail.com. But before they do that, we could really use some help. Oh, yeah? With what? Well, it's not free running the podcast, and we need some financial support in order to get better equipment, which will free up time so we can concentrate on our podcast and our fans. Okay, so what should they do? Head over to patreon.com forward slash sacrilegious discourse and sign up as a contributor on our podcast. Supporters there receive additional bi-weekly episodes that we record just for our Patreon members for as little as $2 a month. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And Apple Podcast Reviews help us out tremendously. 
Like and subscribe. Leave an Apple review. Join us on Twitter. Support us on Patreon. That's a lot of instructions. Don't forget to say thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.